everybody's looking for the same thing. Whether we want to define it in this way, it's true. We're all looking for salvation. We're all looking for some guarantee that life has a purpose and a meaning. And throughout the centuries, many ways to find that have been offered. There have been programs, there have been movements, there have been religious activities, there have been individuals who have promised you that if you do this, this will happen. And yet, it doesn't seem that any of those get us where we want to be. We, we fall short and we know that we're still missing something. So what is it we're looking for? Well, it's not a religion that's going to help us. It's not a politician who's going to pass some law that helps us. It's not social movements that will ultimately get us where it is that we're desiring to be. There's only one way, and it's not a movement, it's not a religion, it's not a cause, it's a person, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ cannot be identified apart from the cross of Christ. There's only one authentic Jesus, and that's the one who died on the cross and who rose again from the dead and will come again at another point in history. Over these Next few weeks, we want to help you understand the cross. Far more than the cursory glance of the cross where, oh yeah, that's the cross. Oh yeah, Jesus died on it. There's so much more to it than that. To the extent that you can deepen your understanding about the cross and Christ himself, it's to that extent that you become a more dedicated follower of him. So over... The next four weeks will be five messages, the last one being on Good Friday. And what we'll be looking at is this. Today, we're approaching the cross. Next week, we're going to look at the heart of the cross. And then as we move into the third week, what is it that the cross achieved? The fourth Sunday, so what? How do we live under the shadow of the cross as followers of Christ? And then we'll gather together again on Good Friday here. And there we'll hear a message that talks about the suffering and the glory. So it's it's a wonderful series of five messages. Make sure you get to all of them or at least you watch them online. We're happy to have our online campus people with us as well as all the people from Alma and you. Today, as we approach the cross, I'm going to ask... Three questions, because there's no better time in our history as individuals for us to have a knowledge of Christ, because he is your hope. Don't hope in anything else. He's your hope. The questions I'm going to ask are very simple. What, why, and where? Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning to stand at the foot of the cross. We're looking up and we're wanting to know, what does this mean? What happened here? Why did it happen? And where does that take us, Lord? Help us to that end, Holy Spirit, as you speak into the hearts and the minds of everyone here, that we may end our time together 
praising you and thanking you for what you have revealed. To this end, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the cross, was it always the symbol of Christianity? No, it wasn't. In the early days, the followers of Christ, who were not numbered in high, high numbers, they needed something to identify themselves with him. And if you've read in the scriptures, there was a time when Jesus was about to be baptized by John the Baptist, and a dove came out of heaven symbolizing the Holy Spirit. And and when that happened, they said, oh, maybe the dove should be the symbol of our faith. Well, that didn't last long. So they decided... Well, you know what? Christ was crucified. He had this crown of thorns on him. And victors always got the crown. When they ran the race and they were the champion, they would receive this crown. So that's a crown of victory. Maybe we could identify Christianity with a crown. Again, it lasted for a little while. Then someone recognized the word in Greek for fish. It's pronounced ichthus. And each of those letters is an acronym for Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. And they said, that's it. We'll use that. That's why even today, you'll see the fish on the back of people's cars. You'll see Christians who sign with the fish. Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. It still didn't really stick. And so they were trying to decide, what do we use? Someone said, what about the cross? And, oh, no, we can't use the cross. I mean, think about it. What was the cross for? It was for criminals. It was for insurrectionists. It was for murderers. It was for non-Romans, for slaves. We don't want to categorize Jesus Christ in any of those. So why would we want to talk about the cross where criminals died? It doesn't seem equitable. You see, crucifixion started with the barbarians. And it was picked up by the Greeks and the Romans. And it was used to punish those whom I just mentioned. And it was a terrible, terrible punishment. We'll look at that in a few minutes. But the followers said, we don't want to associate our faith with these negatives, with these terrible things that happen to people. Why should we look at Jesus having to go through all of this? Well, perhaps we should because Jesus wasn't surprised. Before he came to earth and became a man, the God-man, the scripture says that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made that decision in time somewhere and they decided Jesus would be the one who would pay the price for all of our sins. So Jesus knew from infancy, that his destiny was the cross. He knew in childhood, I have some years left and then I have to go to the cross. He was not surprised by the cross. He was one who understood. As a matter of fact, you know, you and I know, at least I hope you realize, we are all going to die. You know that. I know those of you who are younger than you're here today, you say, no, nah, not me. I'm going to live forever. That was my mindset when I was young. I'm going to live forever. Well, I've done a pretty good job so far, so I'm going to keep moving toward that end. I don't know when that day will be. 
when God chooses to take me to be with him. I have no idea. I don't really want to know. I'm doing fine just leaving it up to him because he does say, it is appointed unto man to die. So I have an appointment and he hasn't revealed it to me. You have an appointment. You don't know when that is. But it's coming. But think of this now. Jesus knew his appointment date. Not only the date, he knew the hour. He knew the very moment that he would say, it is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And yet it was his drive, his desire to please the Father so that he marched toward that moment. That's where his focus was. That's where his time had come. So it wasn't a surprise to Jesus. It was a bit of a surprise to the disciples. They were having difficulty understanding some of his veiled language about the cross. But nevertheless, he remained obedient. He, he became the combination of Isaiah 53, the, the chapter in there that talks about the suffering servant, and Daniel 7 that talks about the Son of Man. And here's what he says. He says, he must suffer and be rejected and die. How many times he said that to the disciples, and, and yet they still hadn't grasped it. They didn't understand the cross. Eleven times in the four Gospels, it's mentioned. He gives either exact or veiled references to his death on the cross. The Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel in the New Testament, half of the time, John's writing is spent on the cross. That's how important it was. So everybody back then knew the cross is significant to our faith. And therefore, we need to recognize the cross and what it means. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I have received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then Peter follows that in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. It wasn't... An uncommon thing to understand the coming of the cross even in the days of the Old Testament. Moses writes in Deuteronomy 21, If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, we call that a cross, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Jesus hung on a cross. Jesus was under God's curse. Scriptures speak of this so often. The cross was planned from the beginning. That's why it's our sign of understanding. Now, how did it become so prominent? Well, we jump from the first century... And how those initial apostles and disciples lived with the cross. We jump all the way up to the 4th century. And we find in 312 AD. 
that there were two people who were co-rulers, emperors of Rome. And one of them was Constantine, and the other was Maxentius. They didn't want to share the rule, so they went to war. They warred on October the 28th at a famous battle, the Battle of Milvian Bridge. But before that, the night before, Constantine fell asleep. And he had a vision from God. And the vision was the sun rising and then a cross coming in front of the sun like you saw this morning. And emblazed on that cross were the words, conquer in this sign. By this sign, conquer. He was so moved by that, he woke up. He woke all of his officers up. He said, go and tell all of the people here, those who are fighting for us, to paint on the front of their shields a cross. We're going to conquer by that sign. And he did. He won the battle on the 28th of October. He became the sole Roman emperor. And as a result, he declared Christianity the only acceptable faith of the Roman Empire and the cross as its symbol. That cross has remained with us ever since. I saw the cross when I was a child. Went to church with my mother and my grandmother, my brother and my sister. We sat there. I didn't like it at all. There wasn't any fun. The man was very boring. But we went out of obedience to our mother that cross didn't mean anything to me. Now understand, as I, as I grew older, more was coming at me. I grew up in a time where we had morning devotions in a public school. Over the intercom. And then we had prayer in the public school. Over the intercom. So I was not without a knowledge that there was a Bible, there was a cross, there was a person called the Son of God. That that son of God, whoever he was, I thought, well, he's a son like any other father has a son. That's what he is. That he died on the cross. I thought, well, that's too bad. But it didn't mean anything to me. It was just another story of history. And I stayed in that mindset for 28 years. Until God won the wrestling match, which he always does. And he had me pinned to the ground and said, this is it. This is the way. Walk in it. And for the first time, I saw that cross is not just a generic statement for all people. That cross is for me. Jesus had my name in his mind and heart when he went to that cross. Wow. It's amazing that he would pick me out. I'm a nobody. Why would he do that? Because of the love of the Father. This weekend, my wife and I had the pleasure of meeting with a, a young girl who's 20 years old. She's a Christian. She's a junior in college, and she had some questions. I knew her family. I've known them for over 30 years, and they have raised her in the Word, and she has come up knowing Jesus Christ, knowing the cross, and I sat across from her and I said, you know, you're further along than I am. Now, I don't 
hear words coming from her mouth, but I can see her brain turning, and she's thinking, but you're so old. How could I be ahead of you? And I'm saying because you became a follower of Christ at four or five years old. You already have 15 years of knowledge of walking with him. And to catch me, you've got a lot more decades to go. And you're already ahead of me because I didn't start till I was 28. I said, you've got the great testimony. You've got the, the beauty of knowing who Christ is. And I didn't have that. So I'm envious of you who already know and you're younger. But listen, I'm thankful that no matter what age you may be, the cross is still for you. That's the beauty of it. He doesn't discriminate in any way. But he opens it up to all of us. That brings us to our second question. If we know that the the cross is our symbol... And that Christ died on that cross, but now he's not on there anymore. That's why we have a cross with no one on it. Because we worship the one who finished everything. But we need a deeper understanding of what happens at the cross. Because at cursory glance, it was easy for me to say, Yeah, he died on the cross, terrible death, too bad, let's move on. Over the next few weeks, you're going to be given more and more details about what happened. And when you learn these, it goes into your heart because you recognize, wait a minute, I'm the one that's supposed to be there having that happen to me, but he did it. So what was crucifixion? Well, let's picture an individual who is a criminal, and he's been adjudicated and found guilty, and now his sentence is death. He's a criminal, he's a non-Roman, therefore he's eligible for crucifixion because he committed some capital crime. The morning comes, he says goodbye to his family because he knows the walk I'm about to take only goes one way. And he picks up the crossbar, the patibulum, and he puts it on his shoulder and he starts walking. He's been beaten the night before. He's already weak, becoming dehydrated. It's difficult for him to to manage the weight. And as he is approaching this place of crucifixion, others are already there. And they've dug a hole and they're putting that big pole down in there. Now, interestingly enough, it's not way high and lifted up as we see it depicted in many places. In general, the cross was really not much bigger than that one that we can see on our stage. And the person's feet were only about two feet off the ground. That's why the mother of Jesus and John and others could be right here. And they would see him and they'd be able to talk with him and hear the words that he spoke from the cross. That's why they were able to offer him something to drink. Because they could reach him with the pole. The man arrives at the place where this has been put in the ground and they lay him down on that crossbar and and they nail him through the wrists which severs certain nerves that start causing pain and blood loss and blood leaves the brain and the headache starts in the brain. 
And then the longer this person is stretched and on the cross, the less blood the left ventricle can pump and the less it can receive from the right ventricle. And then the lungs start filling up and they're not getting enough oxygen. And generally speaking, it took three days of this kind of suffering out in the hot sun of the Middle East. Insects began to feed off of them. And ultimately they would die. That's what happened to Jesus. Except he did it in six hours. From nine in the morning when they crucified him till three in the afternoon when he cried out those words and said, it's done. Because he knew the point that it had to be done. You see, that's the cross. The cross is a place of physical suffering. But as you'll learn in the weeks to come, the cross is even more a place of spiritual suffering. It's a place where God the Father turned his back on the Son and the Son suffered that separation that he had never known in history. No one can explain it, but we understand it had to happen in order for you and for me to have full salvation of body and spirit. That's the cross. That's the one who was on the cross. His chosen destiny. He went there willingly because he came to seek and to save the lost. Well, why there? Why, why did they put him there? Why didn't they put him in the forum in Rome? Wouldn't that have been more impressive if, if they had him right there in the center and, and there you could see people coming? I remember once being in Rome and the irony of sitting at a cyber cafe emailing my daughter back in Michigan and looking around the corner and seeing the Colosseum. Isn't that ironic, what has happened in history? Why didn't they do it there where the senators of Rome would have watched and thought, oh, a very special man that could endure this. You know, we need to find out more about him. But God didn't put him there. What about the Acropolis in Athens? Why didn't he be placed there? Because there, you know, the philosophers and the, the wisdom seekers that Paul speaks about always looking for some God, maybe they would have seen Jesus there and the world would have changed. But no, God didn't choose to do it that way. He took him from a little town in Nazareth and in a three and a half year period, he taught things that changed the world. And then he took him to a little hill outside of Jerusalem and he had him hung on a pole on a cross so that the whole world would be represented there and see him and they did and it's so important that we understand he did this this way because he's not about royalty and positions and financial securities and he's about us normal regular people regardless of who we are where we come from what baggage we have with us Jesus loves you he loves you just like you are if there's something about you that's not in accordance with him he still loves you and over time he's going to change that so that you begin to follow him more 
The cross is our symbol. The Christ is our Savior. Now, knowing that, there's one more thing that I find extremely important. And that is the where, the location of the crucifixion of Christ. What's so interesting is it's seldom mentioned in Scripture. Paul never mentions Golgotha, the place of the skull. And it wasn't called the place of the skull because that's where death happened. It just happened to have a shape in its little hill structure that made it look like a skull. But Paul never mentions it. John, when he writes the Revelation, he talks about Zion, the seven hills of Rome, Asia Minor. He talks about all sorts of things, but he never mentions Golgotha. You see, Golgotha was a very ordinary mound with a slight incline. And it was one of three well-known places in Israel. Zion, which is Jerusalem. Golgotha and Gehenna. Now Zion represents the promised land. It represents heaven for you and for me. Gehenna represents hell. And as we look at the contrast between these two locations, we see fellowship in heaven, outcast in hell. We see a fragrance of a sweet aroma that God says he has over his children. And here we see the stench of dying carcasses. Here we see unity, and here we see chaos. And oddly enough, between Gehenna and Mount Zion, here we find Golgotha, heaven and hell. When you and I were born, we were born near Gehenna. But our heart's desire is to find that peace and that, that solace that we want, which is over here in Zion. Here's the problem. There is a road that leads from Gehenna to Golgotha and a road from Golgotha to Zion. But to get to Zion from Gehenna, you have to go through Golgotha. You have to go through the cross to get to the king. And so many of us, me for 28 years, would not stop at that cross. I'd get close to it and then I'd back away. I found myself staying on that side closer to Gehenna, not fully understanding that if I did not come to the point of facing the cross and understanding its purpose and meaning and applying it to my own life, that I would never see Zion. But I would rest forever in chaos with no rest here. So my question to you is, where are you on that road? See, the Lord is drawing us all to Zion, but he draws you through the cross. You won't find the peace you're looking for, the answers to life, your purpose, apart from the cross. So see yourself now standing at that cross. Can you do what he requires? He will empower you to do it. 
by saying, Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. I want to keep going this direction. I don't want to go back there. And let me tell you, that's his desire, is to take you and mold you and shape you. You'll be happier. Everything will change in your life. Oh, problems still come and go, let me tell you. But our God is there to help us. It's a choice that only you can make. It's a choice where looking at the cross, unbelief sees disgrace, but faith sees victory. It's a choice you have to make. One writer said this, Never a word is spoken of Golgotha as a place to remember because it is the culmination of God's long course of altars. Think about that for a moment, that back in time, God began saying, make a sacrifice for this, a sacrifice for this. We'll talk about more of that next week. And ultimately, it leads to the one-time only perfect sacrifice that does away with all other sacrifices when Jesus Christ dies on the cross. That was the plan of God. He placed himself on the final altar so that you and I would be saved from ourselves and from God's wrath. That's why we preach the cross. That's why we preach Christ on the cross. So let me tell you a story in closing. There was a little church that some people got together and they wanted to build, and it was in the country. It was a brick church, really lovely small thing, sat maybe 50 people. And they planted a garden out in front of it and nice landscaping and some, some vines that would grow up around it. And then they said, we should have a sign that indicates who we are, what we're doing here. So what should we put there? I remember once preaching in a chapel at the seminary that I attended and there were 13 steps on both sides that came up to this podium that was way high. And once you got up there and you looked, right in front of you was a gold plaque engraved that only you could see, and it said, Sir, we would see Jesus. Which meant to me that if I'm not ready to preach Jesus, I'm going down the other steps. Well, these people decided, here's what we'll put. We'll put, we preach Christ crucified. Wow, great statement. And for many, many years, that's exactly what they did. And then along came some people a few decades later who said, you know, crucifixion is really a terrible, terrible thing. You don't have to talk about all of that to understand who Christ is. So let's just not talk about crucifixion anymore. And as a result of that, the vine began to grow. And the vine covered the word crucified. So they preached Christ for a few more years and some more people came in. Sounding more like 21st century people to me. Who said, oh we don't need to talk about him by name. It's the movements that he was involved in that are important. We need to spend more time in, in political understanding and in social issues and you know, he was a good guy, he was a prophet, but that's all we need to know about him. And the vines continued to grow. 
and they covered over the word Christ. So now Christ crucified was gone and all you were left with was we preach. Someone said to me after the last service, why did you stop there? Why didn't you just say, and then eventually it came down to nothing but we? Well, here's a statement of fact that I want to leave you with. The elders of this church, the staff of this church, the pastors of the church, the deacons, the trustees, we promise you with God's power we will never let the vines grow over Christ crucified.